Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Pastor Tom. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online as well. Thank you for being with us today. And I want to tell you a little bit about my own life as we begin from a time long ago when I was about 30 years old. Lori and I, at that time, went through one of the hardest experiences of our lives. We were married under two years. We were heavily involved in ministry in the church that I was serving. We had bought our first house. Lori had a good job. And it seemed like we were headed on a smooth pathway forward in life. But I noticed there was something wrong with me. I remember we had a free evening and we went to a mall to do some shopping. But even though I was off, I couldn't, off of work, I couldn't relax. I felt stressed through our entire time at the mall. And then later that weekend, we had a youth event, and it was bowling. And every time a bowling ball hit the lane, it caused a ringing in my head. I had trouble sleeping. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And eventually, I had to take time off of work. The church gave me a lengthy stress leave, but I had only been in ministry for five years. How could I need a stress leave at such a young age? Well, I began to learn that I had settled into an unhealthy and unsustainable lifestyle. We had a schedule where I was working six days a week and five evenings a week. I only had a full day off on Monday and Tuesday evening. And my body and mind finally said, enough, and forced me to slow down, to recover, and to heal. It wasn't easy. It was burnout with many of the clinical indicators. Yet, though very painful, I can now thank God for that time because it gave me opportunity to reorient my habits and thinking to a much healthier perspective. And I also thank Lori for her perseverance with me through that time. She stayed with me and supported me through those difficult days. I learned then and continue to learn today that my experience was not unique. Many go through significant struggles with stress and near burnout. They may experience deep tiredness, irritability, low reserves, anger, sleep disturbance, anxiety, and depression. And to recover and reorient our lives from such a reality takes significant adjustment. So how do we deal with stress and near burnout? We try lots of different approaches, some of which are helpful in small ways. We may take a vacation, winter or summer, or we take a day off or a few days off. Some just keep going. Some determine they're just going to push through. Some learn ways to become more productive and cram more into their schedules. We exercise, which is good for us. We stay up late or get up early to try to get on top of the big pile in our lives. We tell ourselves it's only for a season, but then we hear from our culture that busyness 
is the thing to do. And stillness is considered useless at best, laziness at worst. But could it be that we are missing something major? Could it be that we have neglected something that God taught his people long ago to help guard our health and our souls? Could it be that adopting God's counsel in this area could bring significant health and restoration to our lives? And I believe the answer is yes, because we may have a distorted view of ourselves and what rest is and where to find it. Author Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, writes, God made us from dust, and we're never too far from our origins. The Apostle Paul says we're only clay pots, dust mixed with water, passed through fire, hard, brittle, And knowing this, God gave us the gift of Sabbath, not just as a day, but as an orientation, a way of seeing and knowing. Sabbath keeping is a form of mending. It's mortar in the joints. Keep Sabbath or else break too easily. Keep it, otherwise our dustiness consumes us, becomes us, and we end up able to hold Exactly nothing. Sabbath. What do you think of when you hear that word? Maybe you think of an outdated Christian practice that some used to do. Maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, your parents did. Maybe it's a a boring day as a kid from your childhood when you couldn't do anything for fun. Maybe it's the Jewish day of worship Saturday, but could it be a pathway to restoration and health for our souls? Yet when we think of Sabbath, we may get stuck on the idea that it only refers to Sunday. Or we may not really know how an Old Testament law like Sabbath applies today. Yet when we hear a verse like, be still and know that I am God, our hearts are drawn to that. Buchanan writes, Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both a time on a calendar and a posture of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way that we see. Sabbath imparts or gives the rest of God. Actual, physical, mental, and spiritual rest, but also the rest of God. The things of God's nature and the presence we miss in our busyness. And he then goes on to explain what he means by Sabbath as both a day and an attitude. For Sabbath as a day, he writes, I want to convince you in part that setting apart a day, one out of seven, for feasting, resting, worship, and play is a gift, not a burden. And neglecting this gift too long will make your soul hard and dry and spent. And then he explains what he means by an attitude of Sabbath. It is a perspective an orientation, a Sabbath heart, not just a Sabbath day. 
And a Sabbath heart is restful even in the midst of unrest and upheaval. It is attentive to the presence of God and others even in the flurry of much coming and going, rising and falling. It is still and knows God even when mountains fall into the heart of the sea, as Psalm 46 says. And I don't know about you, but that perspective and attitude is something I needed 30 years ago and something I'm still learning today. So we start a new series today entitled Finding Rest and Renewal in God. And I pray that God is going to use this to open our eyes to the possibility of finding rest in Him throughout our lives. And today we're going to go on a tour through the Bible tracing this theme of rest. We want to see what God says and discover His invitation for us to find rest in Him. And I pray that wherever you're at today, whether you are tired and fatigued, whether you are full, whether you are blah, you will experience God drawing you closer to himself and inviting you to find rest in him. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, it's time to go on a tour. If you just want to listen to the scriptures that we're going to be looking at, you can do that as well. But our tour begins in Genesis. And in the first chapter of the Bible, we see God's creative work, bringing life to the universe and to the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So this is stop number one, Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. This is the origin of resting one day in seven. But it raises a question. Why did God rest? God does not get tired. God's resources never get depleted. So this must be a different kind of rest than maybe the rest that we normally think of. And one commentator notes that the word translated rest has three closely related meanings. One, it could mean to cease to be. Two, it could mean to stop working. Three, it means to observe the Sabbath. And here it means to stop working, meaning number two. But why did God stop working? And the ESV Study Bible Notes give a good explanation. They read, The repeated comment that God rested in these verses does not imply that he was weary from labor. The effortless ease with which everything is done in chapter 1 suggests otherwise. Rather, the motif of God's resting hints at the purpose of creation. As reflected in various ancient Near Eastern accounts, divine rest is associated with completion of a temple. So God's purpose for the earth is that it should become his dwelling place. It is not made simply to house his creatures. 
In other words, God stopped working because he had finished creating his dwelling place, his temple. He created the earth and everything in it, not only as a place where his creatures could live, but as his dwelling place to live with us. And some note that there is no evening and morning on the seventh day, implying that the seventh day continues in a sense. God continues to dwell on the earth in his people, you and me. And so if you're following along on the back page of the bulletin, the first point is this. God rested from his work after creating his dwelling place on earth. That's the beginning of our tour of rest. And notice further that God chose to mark the significance of this day. In verse 3 of Genesis 2, we read, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God wanted his people to remember this act, that he rested on the seventh day. And he also wanted his people to practice this pattern for their good. It is good for us to stop working once a week to remember that God created this world as his dwelling place. He created it to be with us. So the second point is that God blessed the seventh day and marked it as holy or set apart. Now think about how stopping to practice this might impact our lives. If we just keep at the same routine seven days a week with no break, life becomes a grind. Life is already a grind, but it becomes more of a grind if we never stop. Yet when we pause to worship, rest, and reflect on God's creation of his dwelling place, we can gain new perspective. We can gain refreshment as we stop to think about and remember God and his purposes. Next, we see that God desired for his people to continue this practice. And our second stop in the scriptures today is in Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given. And God was so determined that his people remember this seventh day that he put it in one of the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here we have the commandment to remember or practice the Sabbath day. And it is that God commanded his people to cease work completely one day a week. And this is to imitate him and what he did. God says we've got six days to labor to get all the things done that we need to get done in life. And then he wants everyone to take a Sabbath. 
And notice in this passage, he does not only give the Sabbath to the head of the household or to the father. It's like he's already addressing those in Exodus 20 who are going to try to think of ways to get around not, or continuing to work on the Sabbath day. And so some might say, well, you know, I won't work, but I'm going to get my kids to work. I'm going to get my servants to work. I'm going to get the animals to work. I'm going to get some stranger who doesn't know about the Sabbath to do my work. But God says all of them are to have a day of rest. God commanded everyone in his community to rest on the seventh day in imitation of him and for our own good. But this is hard to do in our culture today. Sure, we don't go to school on the weekends, and many have the privilege of not working on, say, Saturday and Sunday, but we can still fill up our lives with all kinds of things through every hour of a weekend or a Sunday. And a lot of you have to work on Saturdays or on Sundays. Some of you have gone up to Fort McMurray and you go on these shifts where you work constantly, 14 days in a row. Our culture doesn't stop anymore, except for Christmas Day, maybe. Did you know Sundays used to be a complete day of rest in our culture? Where nothing was open except essential services like hospitals, police, and fire? I am so old I remember when there were no convenience stores. You had to plan ahead and think, okay, I need to do all I'm going to do from Monday to Saturday, and then Sundays, nothing's open. There were no smartphones, no personal computers. The entire culture shut, shut down because of our Christian heritage, I think. And Sundays were always a highlight to me as a kid. Because I knew we'd go to church, we'd connect with people, we'd have people over or go to people's places, and we would just relax and enjoy one another and think about God. And then restaurants opened because the church crowd had to have somewhere to go to eat. But of course now we don't live in such a time, but we can choose to get off our culture's seven-day nonstop treadmill. And many of you are doing that right now by joining with us online or being here in person. And I pray that this time that you are taking is rejuvenating for you. As you think about God and praise his name and hear from his word and regain that orientation that you need for the week ahead. This idea came from God at the very beginning. He rested at the completion of his dwelling place with us. But we must also guard against the overreaction of neglecting to work. We need to guard against laziness. Some people worship rest or worship leader, leisure. It's their number one purpose in life. We need to do work and go to school if we're able. But to stay healthy, we need a regular pause in our schedule. And when we pause, we must devote it to reorienting orienting ourselves to God. And we need that especially because of what happened in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve followed the serpent's temptation and rebelled against God. And this led to this fracture in relationship between God and his people. Our sin separates us from God. 
And we suffer from the sins done by others. And life can drain us because of sickness that came into the world. And death and the work of the devil. So more than ever, we need rest from these realities that exhaust us. But God has good news for us. And this is, I think, point three or four on the back. The Lord consistently invites his people to find their rest in him. And our third stop on our scripture tour today takes us to a familiar passage called Psalm 23. And you might have heard these words before, and you can either follow along or just listen. I'm just going to look at the first three verses. And I want you to pay attention to all the images of rest in these verses. So Psalm 23, verses 1 to the first part of verse 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or lack or need. I have no needs. I have everything I need in him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And notice the images of rest in there. Lying down in green pastures. Lying down is an image of rest. Green pastures is an image of abundance. Leads me beside still waters. An image of calmness. An image of access to the life force. The life that God gives. Water. Sheep need water to drink. But they can't drink it from rapids. They need still waters. And then... Most important, most comprehensive, he restores my soul. And this pathway to rest is found in coming to the Lord. Through worship, through prayer, through reading and responding to his word, it comes as he speaks to us in our spirits or through another person, or maybe through a song or a Bible verse. His rest can come to us through hearing a message or sharing with another Christian or gathering with other Christians or going out into his creation. These are the basic practices of God's people since the beginning. And the prophet Jeremiah alludes to them in Jeremiah 6.16, which you may not, may, may not have time to turn to, but I have it on the front page of the bulletin. It reads, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But I didn't include the last line of Jeremiah 6.16. The last line says, But they said, We will not. We will not walk in the ancient paths. And that's the challenge, isn't it? We may know these basics, but we choose not to walk in them. Or we allow our lives to become so busy and so cluttered that they crowd out the ancient paths of staying close to God. Thankfully, Jesus came along to provide the pathway to ultimate rest. And that's the next point if you're following along in the back. Jesus came along to provide the pathway to ultimate rest. And by that I mean rest for our souls in this lifetime and into eternity. And for that we go to our next stop. I think it's stop number four in scripture. And this is a very familiar passage also. Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30. And this is Jesus talking. 
and listen to what Jesus says to you and to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers rest for our souls. But we must come to him. We must take his yoke upon us. We must learn from him. We can't obtain this rest with one swipe of a credit card or a debit card. It is only found through significant life change. We can't just keep doing what we're doing and expect God to come along and magically give us rest if we're exhausted in soul. I couldn't continue working six days a week and five evenings a week and expect deep soul rest from God. I had to change my thinking and practices and schedule and expectations so that I could access God's rest more often. And so the last point is this one, and I really hope we'll think about it. To find rest for our souls in God, we must be willing to change in our lives. We must actively participate with changed thinking, changed behavior. And we can learn this through regular spiritual practices. Buchanan writes this, Good practices are both catalysts and incubators for new thoughts. They initiate them and they nurture them, but they do even more. They make real our change of mind. And then he gives this example. It's like marriage. When I married my wife Cheryl, he writes, I had to change my mind about who I was. I was no longer a bachelor. My habits of thought had for more than 20 years taken shape around the fact of my singleness. I had bachelor attitudes about how to spend time and money, about the ideal color to paint a bedroom, about the best car to drive, about other women. It all had to go through a dramatic shift, in some cases a complete about-face when I took vows. But if I changed only my mind and never changed my behavior, I doubt I would still be married. I have needed, he concludes, at every turn practices that embody and rehearse that make real my change of mind. And our challenge over the next weeks is not only to learn something and maybe have our thinking challenged a little bit, but to change the ways we live. When we first came to Christ, we thought differently about the world, and then our lives began to change. The growing Christian moves from thinking differently to living differently. And the same is true when it comes to finding rest in God. We need to have our thinking challenged and changed regarding the most important things in life. And then we adjust our lives accordingly. Jesus stands outside of our culture's mainstream and he says, Stop! 
You don't have to keep going seven days a week in pursuit of something that you think will one day provide you with rest. You can receive rest in healthy doses along the way in everyday life if you will just come to me. And each message in this series will contain some teaching, and then we will focus on a spiritual practice to adopt as a family or an individual to find rest in God. And the goal is to continue to find rest in God through all of our earthly life until one day Jesus returns or God calls us home. And on that day, Revelation 14, 13 will become true of us. That's stop number five, the final stop on our tour today, which says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So what can you take home today and apply this week? First of all, we need to begin to think of Sabbath, not just as a day, but as a perspective. And I want to invite you to open your mind to that possibility over the next weeks that we're together. Second, here's a practical thing that I want to invite you to do this week. I want to invite you to meditate on Psalm 23, 1 to 3, or Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. And by meditation, I mean read it and read it again and then invite the Lord to speak to you, to draw to you, uh, your attention to, to one word, to one phrase from that passage that he wants to speak into your life, that he wants you to hear, he wants you to internalize and let God speak to you all this week. Third, I would invite you to also pray and ask the Lord for a willingness in your heart to change whatever needs to be changed as we go forward in this series of finding rest and renewal in God. So we're going to practice number two right now, which is to meditate, to focus on one of these passages. And I'm going to look at Psalm 23. And what I'd like to invite you to do is I'm going to read a phrase and then I want you to repeat it. As a prayer to the Lord, and also to seal it more in your mind. Okay, so will you bow your heads or you can join me online by bowing your head and closing your eyes. I'm going to read a line and then I invite you to repeat it. So I'm going to say it twice and you say it with me the second time. So let's participate together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, 
for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.